Let's do it. This is Buccaneers Total Access, Total Access with head coach Bruce Arians. Dropping back to throw Brady. Has all kinds of time. Throws a deep pass far sideline toward Godwin. It's caught. Touchdown Tampa Bay. Chris Godwin. Brought to you by Advent Health. With award-winning care and a network of convenient locations, Advent Health is here to help you feel whole. Learn more at yourcareyournetwork.com. Fire the cannons. Now your host, Bucks team reporter Casey Phillips and head coach Bruce Arians. Welcome into the Bruce Arians Show. Casey Phillips here with head coach Bruce Arians. First of all, congratulations on the win. I'm sure it took years off of your life, you know, <laughs> when you're losing the entire time until 15 seconds left. Uh, that's, that's a bit of a nail-biter for you. Yes, yeah, uh, that old saying, it's never over till it's over. Yeah. And uh, when you have Tom and, and the group we have, it's... Uh, it's a comforting feeling sometimes. Yeah, with Tom, it's never over. I no. think that's a good way to put it. Um, big picture, what do you think that comeback win says about your team and at this point in the season? I thought it was huge for us, and uh, those are the type of wins that really can help you down the road because you, you saw yourself what not to do, but you still win. And I always said <clears throat> you learn just as much by almost losing than you do losing. Yeah, and I, I'm sure that that's a much more fun lesson Way to better. learn. Yeah, Everybody listens a little bit more to the corrections. <laughs> yeah, um, and I mean, Cyril Grayson, 33-yard game-winning touchdown. Uh, take us through that play and, and the decision to, to call it for him. Yeah, it was, it was really set up for Cam, and Tom read the coverage perfectly. They were playing a, a kind of a matched-up zone, and he pumped Cam on the out. And the safety hung, the corner bit it, so he threw a perfect ball and the safety couldn't get there. So it was just a great play by Tom and, and Cyril. Yeah, and, and you know, Cyril, I love it. So five of the nine plays on that final drive, it seemed like we're targeting Cyril. And this is a guy that a little over a week ago at age 28, I think had two career catches. Um, tell me why he's been able to step up in such a big way after such an unconventional path to getting here. I mean, just tremendous hard worker. And uh, probably, like I said, the last two years, by far the most improved player on our team. He just never stops working. And then when his opportunity came, he seized it. And where are the areas you think he's improved the most in? Where, what are those little things you've seen? I, I just catching the ball in traffic. Kind of an and important part for wide very receivers. Very big, you know, <laughs> especially for former track guys. They always have the speed, but the, the in traffic, the cutting, uh, he just keeps working and working at it. And, and uh, you know, like I said, I asked Tom a couple weeks ago, he put him in, I trust him. And that's a big statement. Yes, it is. Yeah. And he also had the third and 20 conversion. Tell mm-hmm. us about that play. That was really big. You know, again, with his speed, once you get past 20, the DBs are going to take off. And uh, he stopped right on the, on the sticks. And uh, great throw by Tom again. And, again, great protection on both those plays. Yeah, and that last drive, I mean, 93 yards in two minutes and no timeouts. Uh, it, within any other scenario other than a – team led by Tom Brady that would sound not ideal no exactly that uh, and he's done it so many times in his career when you're in the huddle with him you're like okay we got this yeah and not even spiking it just yeah we're good we got all the time in the world just a little stroll down the field here Um, so tell us about that drive and what worked so well about it and and looking back what you think the team learned from it well I think protection protect Tom had all the time in the world and uh, we, we started out with some short throws got completions got some some momentum going Hit the big one to Tyler on the on the in route, and uh, again we're trying to trying to get out of bounds, trying to hit Cam, and the, the just presented itself perfectly for the touchdown. And how about the two point conversion? Tell us about that play. <clears throat> yeah, you know we worry about the only way we could lose the game at that point was to have the kick blocked, and uh, so just go for two. Le'Veon did a great job getting in there, and then that made it, made him have to have a touchdown. 
Yeah, and so other than the final drive, you know, total Brady's performance, I mean, 410 yards, three touchdowns. What did you see from him in that game? I thought it was a really great ball game, other than a couple plays. And uh, nobody plays perfect every time. And, uh, you know, he threw some balls up to Mike. Mike got one of them, and uh, they got one of them. But uh, I thought he played outstanding. Yeah, so tell us about the, the interception and, and what went wrong on that play. It was a double boob by Mike, and, and the DB didn't turn his back. He turned back inside right when Tom was letting it go. So he had a, he had a and Mike was trying to outrun him, so he never really looked back. So we talk a lot about Brady's <coughs> records, and so many of them have to do with just his longevity, you know, the, mm -hmm. how long he's been doing it at a high level. But it, it was incredible that at one point during the game, the broadcast put up something talking about how he has never led the NFL in all four of the categories he's currently leading in, in terms of completions, attempts, passing yards, touchdowns, all these things. And this is time out this season, not a cumulative thing. So why is he somebody who's had such a prolific career for so long now doing things even he's never done at this age. He's just remarkable. I mean, uh, he fits into what we do so well. And he bought in during the last year when he came here. And he knew he had the weapons. And, um, you know, now we've got new weapons. And, and part of that's him building that confidence in those players, those young players. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just really happy for him. And, of course, a big part of his success is Gronk. That's a pretty go-to guy for him. And we had talked about how a couple of games before this, there were some, I think you'd put it as uncharacteristic drops for Gronk. It seemed like they weren't always on the same page, which, again, usually you can count on those two to always be on the same page. And then now he comes into this game, seven catches, 115 yards. What seemed to be the turnaround or what worked well this particular game to get them back on that page? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there was a lot of matchups, really good matchups for him in this game. And, uh, and Tom kept finding him. He kept making some great catches and runs after catch. I mean, I don't know if they ever did tackle him. <laughs> yeah, and that, which that is such an incredible skill that he has. What is it that enables him to be so good at those yards after the catch? And how does that even influence just what plays you're wanting to use for him, what you know that he brings to the offense as compared to other people? Yeah, you try to hit him, move him, you know, and, uh, and while he's running because he can just shake people up. He's so big. And, uh, you know, he bent down and caught a couple low ones and, and just – threw guys off of him, and it was just a really, really good ball game. Blocked really well, too. And Cam Braid also got himself another touchdown. Tell us about that play. Yeah, it was a great route, but really good throw. Cam went out to the flat. They covered it. He came back on an angle route, and uh, Tom read it perfect and put it right on him. And Keyshawn Vaughn definitely ended up getting more action than he has uh, in quite some time. And, you know, the injury bug continues to seem to affect one position group at a time. Yeah. Uh, more contagious than COVID, it seems <laughs> like. So what did you see from Keyshawn and the opportunities that he's been given lately? Again, really good. Really ran the ball well, caught the ball well. It was one of his best ball games. And uh, he tripped one. I thought he was going to take it to the house, and he tripped one time on that turf. But uh, no, he's getting better and better. And then same thing, Le'Veon Bell being asked to step up in a bigger way since bringing him in. So um, what gave you the confidence in him and what have you seen in terms of him picking up the playbook and being able to get out there and as the very end of the season still contribute? <clears throat> really all the credits to him because there was no plans on him playing that much. <laughs> yeah. You know, the other two guys got hurt and uh, he stepped right in, stepped up and uh, caught a couple of really good big, big third down balls and, uh, and got the two point conversion. So really happy for him. And I know that uh, Rojo ended up going down with an injury, and, and I know that Keyshawn ended up with one as well. Is there any update on the two of them of what their prognosis seems uh, to be? Still waiting. Rojo's an ankle sprain, and uh, Keyshawn was just ribs, but uh, don't look like there's anything broken. So hopefully we'll, we'll have him back next week. So what did you see from Rojo before he went out from the injury? I thought Rojo was, again, he was running really, really hard. Um, 
again, caught the ball well too. So um, he's been playing at a really good level for us right now. And then I know that uh, you're offensive line you know again we've we've gotten to get them the, the pro bowl recognition for some of them and um what did you see from from their play overall also seeming to keep brady a, a pretty upright yeah I, I thought we blocked extremely well we just had some dumb penalties <laughs> and uh post snap penalties to put us in third and 20s and uh, we did convert one but yeah those things can't happen but uh but they blocked really really well and i know that that is kind of ryan jensen's one of his appeals is the way that he plays with a little edge but that's always kind of going to walk a fine line. And so what is your message after something like that with a guy like him? Slow down with it. Slow down with it and let it go. I mean, uh, there was a two or three scuffles, and they finally got him. Third down offense, I know that there were incredible amounts of conversions, and we talked about things like third and 20s that you guys are converting. So what seemed to work pretty well for you all, even in situations you don't want to be in, but Mm -hmm. being able to kind of fix them a little bit? Yeah, that that was kind of the saving grace for us to to get off the goal line, get some points. But... uh, Overall, uh, I was really pleased with third down offense and, and red zone offense and the, all the situational things. Two-minute offense obviously was a winner, but yeah, we played well in situational football. And then Brashad Perriman and Tyler Johnson both asked to do some things in the offense. What did you see from both of them? Oh, both stepped up big. Tyler had a, one of his best games, uh, had a chance for a diving catch down there and, and didn't quite come up with it, but he played, played really good. And Brashad Perriman is really starting to find his role too. So for you, what was it like the week leading up to it? I know that you guys as coaches and everybody in the NFL, you guys are all such creatures of habit. You have your ways of doing things, and then here you get thrown the, the COVID curveball. So uh, what was that like to find out and have to make all these preparations to make sure that the team would be taken care of? Yeah, I, was, you know, I wasn't sure I'd be able to make it to the game. So uh, I had all the confidence in the world. Harold, Harold run practice really, really well all week, handled the meetings, and uh, the coordinators just do your jobs. And um, then fortunately, I was able to get through the new protocols and get to the ball game. And I know that um, for you, were you excited for Coach Goodwin to kind of get some of these opportunities? You're, you're a guy that um, you really try to, it seems like, promote your staff and you want them to get a chance for people to see what they do. You know, why, why is that something that is so important to you? Oh, I, don't, I just feel really good. <clears throat> I think it's one of the jobs of a head coach, not just to coach players, but to coach coaches to be the next group. And uh, really hope in this next hiring cycle, guys get opportunities. And... Uh, like I said, Harold's been with me a long time, so um, he was the natural fit for that job. And what was the reason for, for picking him to step up in your wake as compared to one of your other coordinators? Well, then you have to do two jobs, mm-hmm. you know, and he is assistant head coach for a reason. And uh, so I was really, I'm really very, very confident. And Todd do his job, to Byron do his job, Keith, you do your job, and, and Harold will handle the rest. And I know teams and games across the league were all paying tribute to John Madden. So I wanted to hear for you, you know, what are the things that stand out to you about him and watching all of these tributes and, and thinking back on a man like that? Yeah, just, you know, watching him as a coach and, and what he meant to the Raiders and uh, the game of football. I mean, he, he is legendary. And, uh, you know, the kids today only think of him as a video game guy, you know, the Madden's game. But, I mean, to watch him coach uh, when I was young and uh, – just a tremendous coach, just a great guy too, a tremendous individual. And what he meant to the NFL is just, it's irreplaceable. Do you have a favorite memory? Oh, just listen, any broadcast, you know, with, with Summerall and Madden, it was like the best. You could just sit there and listen, you didn't have to watch. Casey Phillips here with head coach Bruce Arians. And uh, I know that this is the first time, actually, I believe since you and your staff got here that 
uh, you've allowed touchdowns on the first two drives of the other team. So um, what were the Jets doing well, especially early, but then, you know, on the same part of that, why have you guys had such success being able to hold teams early on in a game when usually they've got a lot already scripted and planned out? Yeah, for us it was just missing tackles. I mean, we gave up a 55-yard run, and we're right in the hole and missed the tackle. Gave up another long run on the sweep, missed the tackle when it was really a negative one and ends up being a 20-yard gain. So it was, it was poor tackling early, and, um, and the Jets had a nice plan, but uh, we just didn't execute. And I love seeing that this was the largest age difference between starting quarterbacks in NFL history, which I thought was pretty funny. I'm sure uh, maybe Tom felt it was less funny than yeah. everybody else did. But uh, what did you see from a guy like Zach Wilson, who is so young, rookie in there, having to face off against the GOAT and, and the way he played? He played really, really well. I mean, he's very elusive. He's very accurate, and uh, you can tell he's going to be a hell of a player for a long time. And I know also uh, you had Berrios in there getting a couple touchdowns, and he's done a great thing this year in terms of even the return game. What was uh, he doing that ended up kind of exploiting some things on our defensive side? Well, they ran the reverse pass, and, uh, and we got picked off, and we were man-to-man. We picked ourselves off, uh, and he got that touchdown. The next one, he just beat Mike Edwards one-on-one. And so for you guys looking at, especially not having Shaq and JPP, I'm sure some of those plays are the moments that, that you know, that would have been something they could have helped out with. But um, what did the, each of them mean to this team, not having both of them out there and then how guys were able to step in for them? Yeah, you throw Levante in there too. I mean, that's three all yeah. pros. And, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's different. It's different, but it's no excuse. Anthony Nelson got a game ball. He played, his, played really, really well. I like the, the way I could tell you, Ed, if you wanted to say stronger words about mm-hmm. him, we'll just know the way that that means that you felt about Anthony Nelson. How have you seen him grow and improve in the way that, I mean, he's starting to feel to me like Mike Edwards feels as a safety where percent of snaps that he plays, the number of splash plays he makes is higher than almost anyone else. Yeah, I mean, he just he's just maximizing his opportunities and he's, he's learned to use his length with his power and then he's got some slippery moves now. So he, he's learned some stuff from Shaq and JPP that's really helped him. Yeah, it's some pretty impressive people to be able to watch. And I know this was definitely going to be some of the biggest opportunities that Joe Tryon-Shanka got as well. What did you think of his game and the way he stepped up? Uh, he was solid all, all game. He needs to be just a little more, use his power more. He was trying to do two finesse, but he made a great stop on that quarterback sneak at the end. Have you seen him uh, grow in some of his pass rush moves or techniques over the course of this season? Yeah, I think in this game he tried to use too many. <laughs> oh, yeah. and you, you always start with speed to power. Mm. And you bull rush and knock them back, then you start using your, your toolbox. And what did you think about the Jets' decision to go for it at fourth and two at the end of the game and then the way that our defense handled it? Oh, I don't think there was any doubt. Uh, I, mean, I would have done two. The game's over. You make mm-hmm. the first down, you go. I mean, I don't know if I'd have ran a quarterback sneak because it was really a long yard and a half. But uh, <clears throat> that, that, that decision to go, I don't. I don't question at all. Yeah, and, and the way that we were able to, to handle that and get that stop, what did you see out there from our defense? Uh, Vita, Vita made a great push in the middle, and Joe come off the edge and make sure he didn't get out of there. So uh, that's all we needed. I know the sack by Anthony Nelson was the only time that uh, we were able to get one in the game, but overall what did you think of the pressure either from the D-line, the outside linebackers, and, and what did you see there? I thought it was solid. We chased him around a mm-hmm. bunch. We couldn't catch him sometimes, but we chased him around a lot. So how did you think Vita and Sue, what did you see from their play overall in the game? Uh, they, didn't, they didn't run the ball inside. They didn't even try. You know? So <laughs> those two guys got stretched to the sideline a little bit too much. And I know that uh, with Sean Murphy, Bunting, and Jamel Dean, it was quite an adventure of a morning for them. Uh, tell us from the coaching perspective on it what you knew, when, and how that was going to affect the game plan and what you guys decided to do. Yeah, we, we kind of made some second-degree plans if they didn't show up, you know, and uh, not thinking that, 
the pilot was going to get COVID, yeah. and they had to go all the way around to Canada to get there. But uh, yeah, it, it disrupted a little bit uh, their warm ups and getting them ready to go. But uh, Jamel stepped in, did a good job. Sean got in there and got hurt. But uh, you know, I was really proud of both of them to get there and, and play. Yeah, and how did you make the decision of knowing that they didn't have their normal warm-up routines and they're running out there after the first series even? Of How does that affect the way that you wanted to try to use them at that point? Well, it's more just you tell me when you're ready. Mm -hmm. You know, tell me when you're loose, ready to go, and we'll put you in there. And you, do we have any updates on Sean and, and his injury situation? No, yet? not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Okay. And outside of the two of them, what did you see from the play of the rest of your corners in the game? I thought Carlton had a really good He dropped an interception <laughs> that uh, would have been big. Uh, but uh, he played really solid. Uh, Pierre was a little bit loose. Uh, nobody got behind him, but mm -hmm. too many things caught in front of him. And how about your safeties overall as well? We knew Jordan had had that monster game the week before, and yeah, it looked like this week was he, Winfield. He was, Jordan was solid. Um, Antoine made some great open field tackles. Uh, Mike Edwards was playing nickel most of this game and was, was pretty solid. And how about uh, Devin? We talked earlier about not having Levante out there, but Devin and then Minter in there, and what did you see from your inside guys? Yeah, that, this was not their best game by far. I mean, they struggled a little bit. Again, it was a sideline-to-sideline side game, and, and you know, they're more thumpers, but uh, they, they can both play better. And how about the third down defense in particular? I know that you know they ended up 6 of 11, but they'd started out converting their first four, so it seemed like at some point in the game, it shifted a little bit more to what you guys kind of want percentage-wise of that converting. Yeah, the, the rush and the coverage didn't match. You know, we didn't get the rush. When we got rushed, we didn't have coverage. So then when, once we matched them a few times, we get off the field. Casey Phillips here with head coach Bruce Arians, and you are facing your 17th regular season game for the first time ever. Does it actually feel different at this point, or have you just lost all sense of time and it doesn't even matter? Yeah, again? you know, to be in January this, and still playing regular season games the, this late is, is a little bit different. Uh, obviously, we have a an opponent we just played and uh, so it, uh, it's one of these times where you rest all week and, and get out there and, and, and play your best. So now how are the things that you know the way you're approaching this next game having just played them what I'm sure feels like yesterday at this point uh, what are some of the biggest things that you're remembering from that first time and maybe even the way that it's it's helping you having played them so recently? Yeah I mean for us it's just who's going to step up this week you know because a lot of opportunities for young players continue and uh, impress us and uh, You'll get ready for the playoffs, but we want to win. We won 13 wins. That's big for us. And how did it maybe change the preparation, knowing that they went with that dual quarterback approach the last time, and not knowing how often or how much they'll be doing that again this time? Yeah, it's very difficult. You know, you got to get ready for Cam's runs, and he had a big one against us last time. And then Sam in the passing game, and Sam's very elusive also. So uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll just we'll get ready for Sam and see what happens. And outside of the quarterbacks, what else from their offense stood out from that last game? They got playmakers. You know, they 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 run the ball hard. They got really good receivers, and uh, we did a good job of keeping them all in front of us last time. We can't let anybody get behind us. Yeah. What has made Robbie Anderson have the kind of success that he's had? Not just you know against us, but in general in the league, he's he's really stepped up a lot. Yeah, he's a speed guy, but he's also really tough. He goes over the middle. I mean, he's not he's a, he's not he's skinny, but he's not not frail. That's for sure. He's tough as nails. It's from Temple. Oh, well, there you go. Not like you're biased or anything. <laughs> All right, and then how about on the defensive side for them? What were the biggest things that stood out the last matchup? Well, we handled Burns and Riddick okay in the last game, and that's going to that's be key again, you know, and uh, just giving Tom protection and opening some holes in the running game. And then for you, I was thinking about the idea of New Year's resolutions. If you were to make some for the team, what would be the things that you would want maybe on each side of the ball in terms of a New Year's resolution you would want them to try for? Stay healthy.
<laughs> Both sides. <laughs> Both sides. Yeah, that's always Get healthy good. and stay healthy. Get healthy and stay healthy. That's a good resolution. Well, Coach, thanks as always, and congratulations on that win. Good luck in your final regular Appreciate season game. You. Coming up next on Buccaneers Total Access, we have Director of Performance Science, Dave Hamilton. This is the Buccaneers Radio Network. Buccaneers Total Access, brought to you by Advent Health. It's intercepted, picked off down the sideline, 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown Tampa Bay! Touchdown Buccaneers, Jamal Dean! Now more with head coach Bruce Arians and Bucks team reporter Casey Phillips. Welcome back into Buccaneers Total Access. We had head coach Bruce Arians in the first half of the show, and now I'm so excited to be joined by Dave Hamilton, Director of Performance Science. Dave, thanks for being with us. It's a pleasure to be here, Casey. Um, man, I feel like your job is one that probably is the least known or understood on the team, so I'm really excited to be able to have you on here because I think people understand the idea of quarterbacks coach, but director of performance science, that's one that people don't get a chance to hear about a whole lot. So first of all, let's just tell everybody a little bit about what your role is big picture here with the team. Yeah, I guess fundamentally it's about trying to make sure our players are available to compete on the field. It's working tightly with medical strength, condition, nutrition as our bigger kind of performance team to support the athletes. Um, and it's trying to make things a little bit more objective with regards to the information that we collect. So whether it's how much work the players are doing on the field, what type of work they're doing off the field, and then ultimately, how are they feeling when it comes to game day and the way that they then perform. And so on game day, what is your role specifically? On game day, there's not, there's not a huge amount for us to do. Um, for us, it's kind of how the athletes are preparing and then ultimately they're going to come into perform. So for us, for game day, what we'll do is we'll analyze the game day data after and we'll look at some of the performance metrics that may be available to us from the NGS stats that the NFL provide. Um, and from there, we try and get an understanding of how much work did the guys do in the game and then from a recovery standpoint, are there certain pieces of information that will drive the type of recovery strategies they should be doing in the next 24, 48 hours post-game? So the actual game day itself is more a data collection opportunity, um, and most of the work is either done pre or post that information. Nope, all right, we're good. Um, so what is some of that data during a game? What would some of those major numbers be that tell you guys the most? Yeah, so you have the demands of each position is going to be slightly different, whether it's O-line, D-line with the level of contact that they would have in a game versus the secondaries or the wide receivers where they're going to accumulate a lot of distance. And as a result of that, the physiological stress that they are exposed to in the game is going to be slightly different. And as a result, it makes total sense the way you recover those athletes should be different. So if I'm having high contact, then I might want to look at ice as a way to kind of reduce some inflammatory responses. And if I'm accumulating high speed or high distances, then there's going to be more of a metabolic or central nervous system type response. And so therefore we have to look at the recovery modalities that best suit that. So it may be heat, it may be contrast work. And so we kind of look at those numbers to gauge, particularly if you have a role within special teams as well, are there going to be recovery modalities in the first 24 hours, 48 hours that are going to help supersede or expedite that recovery going into the next practice week? That's so interesting. And what do you think is the, how similar or different are the stats that are most important to you guys from a game day versus during the week at practice maybe? Yeah, they're quite a bit different. I mean, the stuff on the field is very similar. So we're looking at how far the guys run, how many times they accelerate, decelerate, what kind of max velocity did they hit. Um, but then also in the practice week, we're trying to gauge their wellness. So we're interested in how well did they sleep, how much muscle soreness do they have right now, 
um, where's their energy level or motivation. We'll also get some in insights into their speed and power qualities off the field. So we get them to get on a force plate, we'll have them jump, and that's going to give us an insight now into do they have any fatigue in that system? Are they going to be able to be explosive on game day? Or are we putting a guy on the field on game day who's maybe at 80% of their, their potential? Um, so taking all that information into account, we're a better place to help manage these guys through a week, through a season, to know whether he's fatigued, whether he's fresh, what makes him feel fresh, what type of threshold of work is too much for a, a guy, and, and, and what level of work is too little, where we now have to do additional conditioning to help maintain his levels of physical performance through the season. Because they all have different places on the depth chart, and as a result of that, the amount of practice work they get is going to vary and we have to really understand the individual and help optimize everyone's performance throughout the season. So who do you mainly communicate that data to? So let's, you've, you've analyzed all of it after a game or after a practice and you think all right we need to get this guy less work or more work or whatever. Are you taking that to coaches? Is it the medical staff? What's sort of the the chain of command there of who's going to make some of those decisions? Yeah, I think philosophically it's going to be different from team to team. So for us, the way we kind of do it is we understand that the coach is king and they have a direct understanding of what they need their players to do within a practice week. So what we try and do as a performance team, so medical and strength conditioning, is take this information, this kind of micro-information around a player and make decisions for them. So whether it's additional recovery, whether it's additional conditioning, because if they're not doing enough work, we're going to find a way to help them get more work. And if they're doing too much work, well, the coach obviously feels that's paramount to them being successful and earn a place in the team. So we're going to help them more with recovery. Um, within the other kind of metrics we collect in the week, we're really trying to get an idea of, is this guy at risk of injury? The last thing we want is to lose a key player that can't get on the field. So we'll take information now, and we might change things within their strength conditioning program that helps mitigate the risk of them picking up a soft tissue injury because we think the load is too high or they've developed an imbalance somewhere or they're not sleeping well. And so we'll try and control the controllables for that athlete so that the coach can still get done what they need to get done because if I'm a you know third or fourth in the depth chart or a practice squad guy and I'm not practicing, I'm not going to make this team. So we're trying to do as much as we can to help these guys be exposed to what they need to be exposed to but help them stay healthy and safe at the same time. We're talking to Director of Performance Science, Dave Hamilton, and uh, do you, how often do the players find out about some of this data? And I, I have to imagine that what they want to hear is how fast they were or things like that. What, what tends to be the stuff that the players want to know of their data? Yeah, that, that's a great point. And that's the biggest piece for us is if a lot of this information we collect is voluntary, right? We can't make them give us this information. So we do our best to collect it and we try and create this buy-in. So at the end of every week, the players will get a report on all the information that we collected on them. So they can see where they're at and how they're progressing. And they get like a one page that goes in their locker on a Monday or Tuesday post-game. And they'll see how the wellness score was, how their jump data is, how fast they were in practice, how fast they were in a game. Um, a lot of other kind of metrics that we then collect. And then the fun bit about it is they have this piece of paper. They walk around the change room for the next 30 minutes competing with each other <laughs> of to course see... They do who was the fastest, who ran the most. Um, so as a result of them knowing that we collect data and that they're getting it back, I think that's a big piece of kind of us all evolving as a performance team and as a team to kind of create this culture where we trust each other and, and it's all about helping each other out. Do you feel like your role is more about injury mitigation or peak performance or is it really, is it really both? I think that's 
What's nice about the role is it covers all those kind of elements. You're talking about making sure the best athletes are available to get on the field. You're talking about helping them develop in a way that's specific to the demands of them as, as an athlete. Um, and then you're talking about the recovery. Like it is so challenging playing 17 games in a, in a regular season. We want to make sure that in order to get these guys back out week to week, that we're doing everything we can to educate them around their recovery strategies, around their game day strategy, to when is a good time to wake up, what should I do after I wake up, if I've got a one o'clock game, is my preparation different to a seven o'clock game? And so we'll educate the guys throughout the week, trying to drip feed them these kind of infographics information so that as an athlete and as an NFL player, they, they start to learn all this themselves. Should they move somewhere else, they are, they are developing their education on how to be or to optimize their performance in the NFL. I know that this was a new department essentially here that you guys were able to kind of create. And so has it changed at all since getting here because it was such a new thing that as you guys grew and learned what worked and what didn't, do you feel like your role or what you guys try to do has changed in your years being here? Absolutely, yeah. My, my experience was coming from predominantly working with um, the Olympics. Um, and so that athlete is different to an NFL athlete. I've also worked in the collegiate environment. That athlete is different to an NFL athlete. So for me to come in and think that you can just kind of shoehorn a philosophy into the NFL would be a mistake. So inevitably there's, there's been an evolution of this, this role and the department and what it can do. And that's come about through a, uh, an organic approach to understanding what type of information do these guys need? What do the coaches need to hear? How can we influence performance in this realm? And has COVID changed the, the role in the department at all in terms of what you guys have needed to do or tried to do? I think initially it probably did, um, but I think the reality is we still have interaction. Um, we still see the athletes. We, I don't feel like we've lost a lot of contact with the athletes as a result of this. We're obviously very aware of what we're doing and the way we manage um, numbers, but no, I, I don't think COVID has hugely or drastically changed the way we, we wanted to evolve as a department and the way we're impacting the players currently. What do you remember about when you were essentially creating this new thing here in terms of how that was even possible, you know, the, the buy-in from coaches, all those conversations, and, and essentially even selling it as an idea that this team needed and what you wanted to build. What were all those initial discussions like and, and the reason that you think that this team knew they wanted a department like this? I'm not sure I was involved in those discussions. I think, I think Jason Light, the general manager, really kind of had a philosophy of how he wanted to evolve um, the performance team here. And as the NFL has evolved, like other sports, like data and information is, is more and more available. And sometimes there can be a paralysis by analysis. There's too much to do with this information. So having a department that's able to come in clean up those processes, make sure the right information is getting to the right people in a timely fashion. Um, I think inevitably, as sport is evolving, you're going to see more and more of these departments or these positions coming up. Um, my understanding coming in was basically, like, as I've said at the beginning, like how are we going to make sure these athletes are available to compete? What are we going to do to mitigate? What is it a contact sport and a high level of injuries within this sport and the way we practice it also creates injuries so those in injuries that are called soft tissue um, they should be preventable and by educating people on practice volume how athletes are responding to that load you should be able to reduce the risk of losing a key player at a key time in the season.
and that therefore when you're putting a cost to winning it's important that these players that are commodity are available to compete. And I was wondering how with Jamel Dean and Sean Murphy bunting the way that they're crazy Sunday un, uh, you know, unraveled and all the way that they're getting there as the game is already in progress and all the differences in terms of the routines of what you guys typically do to get guys warmed up and ready. Um, were you guys involved in trying to figure out how this was going to work for them or even just what you saw in the aftermath of looking at the data of, of what that was like for them to try to not have their normal pregame routine no. at all? Yeah, no, that was tough. So I think the in, in that case, strength condition did a great job of taking into account they have minimal time to, to warm up. And so they went kind of to extra lengths to expedite that process. And so whether it's using vibe plates, whether it's using other modalities to kind of what would normally be a two-hour warm-up two warm routine is now down to 15, 20 minutes, which is totally feasible. Like, it's, it's plausible to get physiologically ready in that amount of time as long as you have um, the appropriate kind of space and modalities available and the right mindset within the athlete, then they're going to be able to get out there and get ready. So I think that's what you saw on Sunday. All right, we still have more coming up here on Buccaneers Total Access with Director of Performance Science, Dave Hamilton. This is brought to you by Advent Health. This is the Buccaneers Radio Network. You're listening to Buccaneers Total Access. Hot ball! Touchdown, Tampa Bay, Antonio Brown! Brought to you by Advent Health. What an answer by Brady in the box! With head coach Bruce Arians and Bucs insider Casey Phillips. Welcome back into Buccaneers Total Access. We are talking to Director of Performance Science, Dave Hamilton. You briefly touched earlier on your background a little bit, but I wanted to hear a little bit more about the jobs that you had before coming here and even your education background of what does a person who is in charge of performance science come from? So tell us especially about a few of those stops before here. Okay. Um, try and squeeze 20 years into 20 yeah. seconds. <laughs> oh, no, we got more than 20 seconds. Okay. You're good. So. I did a degree in sports science in the UK. Um, after that, I was in the midst of playing some professional, semi-professional rugby. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do other than play rugby at that point. Um, I ended up getting a job in Scotland for the Scottish Institute of Sport, working as a strength conditioning coach, which was a multi-sport job. So I'm working with rugby, I'm working with cricket, I'm working with football, I'm working with the Olympic athletes pole vault and track and field. I loved how British that sentence you said was. I feel like for all of our all listeners, that was so, yeah. yeah, I was I like, that's... I should have said darts and snooker, but I didn't yeah. say it. <laughs> <laughs> so then I did that for you, and then I worked with the English Institute of Sport. And basically, the English Institute of Sport is an organization set up by the government to support all the Olympic athletes in their endeavors to make an Olympics, make an Olympic team. And so we had physiology, sports science, strength conditioning, um, nutrition, psychology, all of those services were, were available to Olympic athletes through the Institute of Sport. I did that for three years as a strength conditioning coach, went to the Middle East in Doha, Qatar, where I worked at Aspire, um, and I was a senior strength conditioning coach for football, or soccer as you guys yeah. call it. So there were six kind of teams aged 13 to 18. Um, did that for three years, came back, was a head of strength conditioning for the Great Britain hockey team. Um, did that for three years until we went to the Olympics in London 2012 where we got a bronze medal. First team sport in Great Britain to medal in 20 years. So that was kind of That's amazing. a big achievement. Went from there to the USA Olympic team where I did a similar role as director of performance science for the USA field hockey team. Um, and then went to Penn State for three years, four years. And then after Penn State was fortunate to pick up this job here at 
Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What an incredible background. And I feel like to have a Super Bowl ring and an Olympic medal, yeah. it doesn't really get any better than that in sports, I have to imagine. It could be Roger Kingdom have two gold medals. And I was going to say, <laughs> I, the fact that you're not even the only person on this staff to have an Olympic medal and a Super Bowl ring is crazy. You'd think that, you, that this is such a unique achievement. Be our speed, our speed yeah, coach, right. Roger Kingdom, yeah. has, his, has his medals as well. Have you guys talked about that, that you guys are in rare company here? No, I, you can't compete with Roger Kingdom. <laughs> the guy had a world record, gold medals. Like, yeah, he's a legend. So. That's amazing. Um, do you, and I, I, of course, most importantly, would love to know how many times you have been either compared to or asked about Ted Lasso because of your background and coming here. I love that show. Like, love it. It's such a clever kind of concept to have, because you do two different kind of comedies, right? You got the British humor and you got the American humor to kind of combine those in the show. I think it's. I imagine there's a lot of people in the U.S. that like it, and I know there's a lot of people in the U.K. that like it. Yeah, as I imagine well. that you're one of the few people that really can appreciate all of it that you can yeah, understand no, all the right. like, yeah there's definitely um all i've actually all i ever hear about here is how the food in the uk is terrible and <laughs> i don't think that is true it's not fair you know you're That's like, all i on. ever get is how bad the food is from one trip where we spent three days in london people think the food is terrible. And they were probably mainly eating in the dining hall of the hotel. Exactly. Yeah, right. that's so funny. No, you you just got to start defending your plays here. We're talking to director of performance science, Dave Hamilton. Um, had, tell us a little bit again about how you work with the different parts of the staff here in terms of, we talked about the training staff, the you know strength and conditioning staff, nutrition. What are the ways that each of those groups help you do your job and then how you feel like you help each of them? Yeah, so I definitely feel like uh, the department's role is, as I said at the beginning, to kind of get information to all those guys from all the departments. So we would use what's called an athlete management system, where we will get information from strength conditioning, we'll get information from medical, whether it's injury reports or the latest kind of updates on how health of a guy. Uh, we get nutritional information, whether it's body composition, hydration, we all put it into like a dashboard. So we can make a dashboard for every individual to get the relevant information that makes their job easier. Um, so we're able to put it into one place and it's accessible for everyone. So within medical, a big piece for us is that kind of profiling that we do at the beginning of the year. Or when we have guys come in for a workout, we want to understand this athlete that's coming in, what are they going to be predisposed to? What are we concerned about immediately that we can put into place a program or some kind of rehab uh, sorry, prehab program to, to prevent what we would hate to kind of see. So it's working with those guys to kind of get that information and make it meaningful as it relates to some kind of prescriptive outcome. And, and you, we talked so much about how data is everything for what you guys do. So what are the, the technologies that you guys use the most and that are the most helpful for you of, of that behind the scenes collection of the data? Yeah, it's a mix of objective and subjective information. So we have the GPS that the guys will wear in the field. Like I said, that's going to give us an idea of kind of time motion, so how far they travel, how fast they travel. Yeah, that, I always love hearing people are always asking, why are they all wearing sports bras? And uh, you, you are the reason they're all wearing sports bras. Yeah, we wanted to just put the units in their shirts, but the guys insisted on bras. So. <laughs> <laughs> or bros, I heard, as they're also called, which I really, the yeah, day no, I heard that, I really enjoyed that. It's part of keeping that unit nice and snug against, uh, between the shoulder blades. Oh, right. Otherwise, if it's too loose, it really affects kind of, there's two the technologies readings, in yeah. it. You've got GPS, which is the satellites, and you have the accelerometry, which is um, triaxial accelerometer, so it's kind of vibrations and forces and mm. feels. Um, so we have those for the stuff on the field. We also use, in the weight room, we've got the force plates, which we look at in balance. So we'll try and identify if there's an issue between different limbs, left leg, right leg, right arm, left arm. Um, 
We'll also use that to look at some jump data metrics which will tell us whether they have any neuromuscular fatigue. We also do wellness, which is just a questionnaire that they'll do on a touch screen. They come in, they touch their picture of their face, they answer three or four questions around their, their well-being at the time. Um, that basically gives us a score out of 30. So 30 would be the freshest they've ever felt and zero would be they're probably not alive. Yeah. <laughs> and we get some kind of grade on where they sit. Um, we also get RPEs. So at the end of every practice, we're interested in how they rated the difficulty of the practice. That's important for us here in Tampa because we have what I would call sun tax. So mm. for every practice we do outside in the heat, there's a 20% physiological cost that every other team that doesn't play in the heat wow. doesn't have to deal with. So I could look at how much work we did physically with regards to the distance we traveled or how much high speed work we did or accelerations, decels on a cold day or indoors. And I could look at that same output outdoors but the way the players rate it are completely different. Hmm. So although the physically they were the same, the players are telling us that it's a lot harder. Um, and if you look at any other physiological markers like heart rate, which we also have, you'll see that there's an increased exertion cost to being out in the heat, so the body's trying to constantly cool itself. Well, there's no, nowhere else really, or there aren't many teams that have to deal with that. So you throw that out through preseason um, and also in summer camp, like. The physical cost that we have to also deal with with these guys is, is exponential, like it's, it's a lot harder. So when you get to train indoors, you might think that's an easy fix, but now you've got to deal with the O-line and the D-line. D-line don't like training indoors, O-line don't mind it because the demands on their feet on those type of turfs are completely different with where one of them's trying to produce force, the other one's trying to absorb force. So mm. you've got to then get a balance of keeping the athletes happy versus the risk of taking them outside and the, and the constant heat exposure. That's fascinating. And I feel like I always hear people say, oh, well, at least we're used to the heat. And that, let's say, like, especially later in the season like this, when other teams have been in the cold, and then we have an 80-degree day in December, and they come in and every, you know, it's kind of this conventional wisdom that we would have an advantage in that. Or even back in, you know, September, when it's a crazy amount of heat and humidity that other teams might mm -hmm. not deal with that we would have an advantage does the science support that or is that more of a like old no, wives tale concept no it absolutely supports it so there are physiological changes that occur when you're exposed to heat in your blood plasma the way that it's able to um, kind of the sweat rate and the way in which you're able to cool down but basically what you need is a 40 to 60 minute exposure um, 14 to 21 times over a 30-day period. Wow. To get to get those benefits, to, to get changes in sweat rate. So for us, that's exactly what we do. So yeah. then when we play in heat, it's not like it's, it's easy, it's still difficult to play in heat, but we're gonna be able to cool down a little bit better or tolerate those demands better than other teams. So when they come in, they're still trying to go through those adaptation processes that we have, and so it does become an advantage. Now, as hard as it is to get those gains, it's fairly easy to lose them within 10 days. So hmm. we do need to make sure throughout the season or early part of the season where our, the temperature is hot, that we are constantly getting ourselves these heat exposures within a week, which is why we balance going indoors versus staying outdoors, because we know we need that to maintain those advantages when we have that home game that's gonna be in the heat. That's so interesting. And I think about how technology must have changed so much over the course of your career. You talked about all the stops you've had and how long you've been doing this. What are the biggest ways that you feel like sports science has evolved over that time, both from technology and then even just from an understanding 
of things thanks to that technology? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Like, I think about this a lot and I'm not sure I've got the answer. Um, has it changed a lot? There's always been the search to get information or data around our athletes. It's always been there. Um, there are more technologies available that are more affordable, so therefore more people are using them. Um, I think the way it's evolved is now we're getting to a place where there's probably too much information hmm. and there is that paralysis by analysis. It's almost like an inverted U, right? So when you have no technology, you're probably not impacting performance a huge amount. Mm -hmm. And then when you get some, your ability to impact performance increases. And then when you have too much, you probably start getting further away from performance again because you're getting lost in the numbers. So it's finding that sweet, sweet spot of the information you gather around your population. Not only that, the more information you have, the more you've got to try and um, make it user-friendly to coaches, to players, to support staff. And that becomes a much kind of, well, a very kind of demanding element as well. So I'm at a place, I think, with my experience where I understand what the bang for the buck is. Like, what am I actually trying to do? And it's a simple equation of understanding how hard are the athletes working? And then what's the impact of that work on their ability to perform? And as long as I can get objective measures on what that work is, and I have another objective measure which tells me where are they at right now, are they tired or are they, um, are they fresh, then I have enough information to start impacting performance in the way that we practice or the way that we travel, because we understand how the athletes are responding to all of that. But if I have no information on that, I'm kind of, I'm blind to, to what it kind of, what the impact is on the athlete and how to change it. That's so interesting. All right, well, we have one more segment here on Buccaneers Total Access with Director of Performance Science Dave Hamilton, presented by Advent Health. We'll be right back. This is the Buccaneers Radio Network. Buccaneers Total Access with Head Coach Bruce Arians now continues, brought to you by Advent Health. It's time for our final segment here on Buccaneers Total Access, and I'm joined by Director of Performance Science Dave Hamilton. Um, we've talked a lot about the technology side of what you guys do. I would like to hear a little bit more about the difference in certain positions. You talked about how you've worked in a lot of different sports with a lot of different kinds of athletes and they're all different. And of all team sports, I imagine football is the one that has the biggest degree of difference between your different athletes of trying to figure out what works for everybody. So what are the biggest things for you guys that you do differently for an offensive lineman versus a defensive back? And, and how does that affect what you guys try to do? It's, it really is a complex sport like that. In other sports I've worked with, whether it's rugby, soccer, field hockey, um, track and field, rowing, diving, like it's, it's a one sport where the physical attributes across the players involved are so vast. So you make a great point. You have your wide receivers, your DBs, your skill guys as they often get referred to, who are going to accumulate a decent amount of distance. They're going to be constantly moving with intent, like trying to accelerate hard they're going to reach max velocity, so they're going to decelerate rapidly. Well, mechanistically within the muscle, that's a slightly different challenge to an O-line who's trying to absorb the force from a 260-pound D-line, uh, trying to run around them and rotate them. Um, and as a result of that, they're probably not covering a large amount of distance. So some of the issues we have is the GPS is all about time motion. It's all about how far you run, how fast you run. Well, now all of a sudden that metric is not very useful in the O-line. Because yep. if I actually looked at that, they... They don't go very far. I would say they didn't do anything. Yeah. But we know physically they are going through a huge amount of stress. Um, so as a result of that, we try to combat that by looking at a couple of blood biomarkers right now within our O-line. 
rather than trying to use the GPS to gauge their work, we'll look at markers of stress or inflammation within the system uh, and that will help us understand how are they now responding to that load through practice. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of how we've tried to evolve in order to improve our understanding. Um, I think the future and, and what we're already trying to get to is insoles within their shoes. So rather than understanding how far they move, wouldn't it be much more interesting to understand how much force is going through each foot because that's probably more indicative of the stress that they're exposed to. And so let's say when you get a new player in, you know, late in the season or midway through, um, what are the things you have to do then to be able to, when it is all about data and you have no data on this player, trying to then know what this player is going to need, what are the processes of when you get a new guy in here? So we're able to, we have normative data sets now. So we know through all the different position groups what is normal. Hmm. And then when they come in, we're able to go through the same type of assessments and immediately gauge where they sit on our normal scale. Are they below average? Are they above average in certain attributes? And then from there, we're in a good position to expedite some of their development. Oh, we can see for the position group that you lack this, therefore we are gonna kind of expedite and develop this. Primarily though, when we get those guys in, our focus is how do we make you available to play? And is there anything we're seeing that makes you more susceptible to injury than other people in your player group? And if there is, what can we do to kind of reduce that? Um, that's kind of the primary focus. But a lot of it is that we have normative data now. We know for an O-line, NFL, what the standards are. And they're going to be different from a collegiate football player who are also O-line. So it's trying to... Well, this has been so interesting. I've been fascinated. And um, I, we only have like 30 seconds left. But I did want to hear 17th game now. Did that change anything that you guys decided to do about this year? Honestly, no, like it was already difficult after 12 games. So now you're just kind of treading water to survive. Um, it hasn't hugely or strategically changed much. It's definitely more demanding. Um, there's no getting away from that. But ultimately you also come to a point of survival as a player where you're trying to, you're trying to get through. BA has been great in the way that he's adjusted practice. Um, and that's, that's been something he's done from the entire time that I've been here, starting in 2019, like his ability to take in that information and make kind of timely decisions based on what the performance staff are offering him. Um, and so I feel like we're in a great place coming into the, the playoffs physically um, and the way the guys are responding, so I'm excited. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining us and good luck the rest of the season. Thank you. All right, and thanks to all of you guys for listening. This has been Buccaneers Total Access with head coach Bruce Arians and director of performance science Dave Hamilton, brought to you by Advent Health. This is the Buccaneers Radio Network.